How you doing, Michael Janoski? Uh, we're good out here. Weather good out there in California? It's always good out here. Give or take fires and mudslides, it's always a nice place to be. Have the have the fires been contained for the most part now? Yeah, the one the the big the big ones are are they're done. Um, but what happens what happens is out here. If anybody's really interested, is what the fires denude hillsides from trees, and then when we get big rains as we did uh, right after the fires, there's nothing to hold the rain onto the on, into the soil, so that it creates these these enormous mudslides. Mud one of our biggest freeways is. Actually, I think it's still closed. It's not supposed to open till uh, till Monday. It's one of the big north-south uh, arteries from between Los Angeles and San Francisco. So it's it's been a mess, but that's one of the prices we pay for living out here. Yeah, it's just I'm always amazed at those Santa Ana winds and when those fires whip up and yeah, watch that we have our share of things, but we don't get we don't get three feet of snow and yep. and ten degree temperatures and you know things like that. All right. Well, I know you didn't come on to talk about this, but, but no, but, but the, the, that story that has captured my imagination is this sickening story of the, the husband and wife. Uh, that's the, a terrible story. Where, what part of California is that? It's, um, it's sort of, I think that, that was uh, east of San Diego. That's what a I thought. Bit north. That is um, such a disturbing story on so many levels. It's yeah, disturbing. it was. I was struck by the fact that the film, the the news footage showed where they lived, and it, it looked like a really nice neighborhood, which always goes to show you never know what goes on yep. behind closed doors. You just never know. All and right. that, that's thank God a, one of those kids got out and yeah. and, and ended this this horror. Horror, terrible, terrible story. Um, yeah. Speaking of terrible stories, not to make not <laughs> to make segue. light of that. Uh, but Good it is segue. a segue into the Orioles. Uh, kind of, their off season has been like sort of uh, the fires, the wildfires, yeah. and a mudslide all rolled into one. What, what do you make of it? Because it's not as much as we'd like. Uh, you know, the part of the Baltimore Oriole fan base wants to blame the Orioles and Peter Angelos. It seems like it's endemic to about twenty or twenty-two of the thirty teams are all moving kind of like at a glacier-like pace. Yeah, what strikes me, I think what's, I, I've thought about this a lot because I knew we were going to talk about this. And, um, you know, and I, I know there was one very long essay written this week about the economics of the game, how they've shifted and all that. And I, I think to a large extent that's true. I mean, salaries have gone up and up and up, and free agency has changed the game, and these opt outs and all, the, all these things that have been become now uh, routine, I think they all play some, some role and they all cumulatively they all have some effect but i was thinking about i think there's a from the it just speaking from the orioles perspective i think what it to me what it all goes back to is player development yeah, you, and, you hit the nail on the head yep. and if you know you can't you know teams in in places like new york and san francisco and, and la just by mere fact of their fan base and the numbers, uh, they're always going to draw more people. Their stadiums are going to be packed. They're, you know, win, lose, or draw, they're always going to be popular in their cities. You know, the Orioles and other teams in these the so-called mid-market um, cities, they have a different kind of a challenge. And I don't know the economics of, of the Orioles. I don't know how much they make from Masson and, and all that stuff. But I, what always strikes me is when the Yankees are in the middle of a deal and somebody and and they want a guy, not a free agent guy, but they want to make a trade. I'm always struck by the fact that the 
trading partner team comes up with two guys who are, it always says, they're highly ranked in the Yankee organization, but they're not their best prospects. Right, right, right. So, and then you watch the Orioles, the minor, and I don't follow the minor leagues all that closely, but I do know that if you, if you track the number of guys who make the major league team from the Orioles minor league system, it just doesn't seem all that, that productive. And if it were me, the first guy, I wouldn't worry about signing free agents. I would sign the guy who develops pitchers for Tampa Bay. Right. That's who I'd sign. Right. And when you start having a double A AA and triple A teams with lots and lots of prospects, you, you, you know, you can't do anything about the free agent market, but you sure have more ability to trade for a guy who might put you over the top. Of course, the Orioles are well beyond one guy to put you over the top, but um, I just think that's where it all starts. Mike, how much of it, and I don't want to go into a bashing of our president because I could spend the, the whole two hours on that, but, no. but, but what I'm getting at is, you get somebody in a position of authority. How much of it is with Dan Duquette, the fact that this is a guy who had been blackballed for 10 years and he comes in and he wants to, he's got an agenda of doing what you want your general manager to do, which is try and win. But maybe he was overly aggressive in giving up young players like Josh Hader like Eduardo Rodriguez, like Zach Davies, and maybe the Orioles today would be looking a lot better had he held on to those guys. Yeah, I think you can always point to that aspect of it. I, I think what you have to factor in, though, is it's also a franchise that hasn't won in a very long time. I don't mean you yeah. know coming out with a plus 500 winning percentage. I just mean they haven't, they haven't succeeded in the playoffs to any great degree in a very, very long time. I think there's a hunger to you always sort of think, well, there's that one guy. That if we get that guy, it's sort of like the yeah. Andrew Miller trade. Well, the Andrew Miller trade was was you know exhibit A of this. What I'm talking. Yeah, about. exactly. So you think, well, I'll, I'll take a chance. I'll, I'll trade a I'll trade a good uh, a guy with a high ceiling, and get that one guy that I think can put us over the top. And to some degree, it worked. I mean, they that was the best year they've had in ages, right? It it worked until the point where it made sense to then say, "Hey, we we own Andrew Miller. Let's keep him. Let's keep him." Right. Yeah. And you know, I think the short-sightedness is and I again, I don't know what happens behind closed doors, but you know, the idea that that Manny Machado was not extended two or three years ago, and and I'll tell you, and I'll I'll make this prediction. Yeah. If if Manny leaves, whether he's traded or or whatever, or you know now or before the trading deadline, or he just walks at the end of the year, tell me what incentive Jonathan Scope is going to have to stay here long term. Well, they, I don't think they can wait to find out what happens with Machado at the end of this year. In other words, if they trade him in the next five, six weeks, that's one thing. But I think the Orioles need to exhaust every avenue in February and March to sign Jonathan Scope for six years. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. But I think geez. his biggest incentive is the fact that he hasn't made huge amounts of money yet and he could sign a guaranteed contract that would guarantee his financial, you know, position in the world for the rest of his life. Or, or 
his agent says, you know what, you're a great player. Maybe you get injured, maybe you won't. You know, hang in there yep. for another year or two, and then you're going to strike it rich. I mean, I think what works against um, what works against guys like him are the the kind of the mistakes that the Orioles have made. I mean, signing Chris Davis for that crazy contract and. And then out here, you see it with Albert Pujols. They sign these ridiculous contracts for 10 years. You know, I'd be curious to see how Stanton does in New York. I mean, he's a wonderful player, but is he a wonderful player for the next 7 to 10 years? I don't know. Well, we will, we will find out. You know, with Scope, what's, what's so fascinating to me about, about Peter Angelos is he's, he's clearly a very brilliant guy, um, very smart guy. But he somehow has that lawyer's clock, which is counter to the clock in in the world of baseball. Yeah. Because doesn't it seem like they are almost repeating the Machado situation with scope? Whereas a year ago would have been the time to. In other words, it almost seems like they are they lack a confidence of their conviction about players that they own of saying, hey. Scope can be here for seven or eight more, not ten more years. Let's get him inked last year to a hundred million dollar contract. Yeah. Where now, if he's one year away from being a two hundred plus million dollar player himself, well, I I just you know I I don't know about that you know I I take I take you at your word about him. I I don't know him. I don't know what makes him tick, but. I do suspect sometimes that not only with him but other other owners of these, you know, scratching and clawing franchises, is their DNA is a little different. I think, and I've been reading about the this this notion about whether you build your team to be competitive or just to you know play baseball games. And when I read box scores every morning, as I do, the first the first line I go to. You, you read them online though now, right? No. Well, you store, do you, store, I, I, do you read them newspaper. in the paper? As a newspaper guy, yeah. I still I get the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times delivered to my house every day. So the LA Times still has a decent sports section and they and they and they have all the box scores. So I when I drink mm. coffee in the morning I look at them. But the first line I look in box scores is attendance. Mm-hmm. And I know that you know you go to you go to New York, and you know even in the cold days of April, they'll draw twenty five, twenty eight, thirty two thousand people a game. What happens at Camden Yards? You know, twelve thousand, eleven thousand. Yeah, it's just very different. And you know, from the management's perspective, do I want to spend an extra forty, fifty, sixty million dollars a year to win seven more games? Correct. I, I understand that. Uh, believe me, I understand that. So, I, you know, I don't know what the calculus is among ownership. And maybe, you know, for them, they're not passionate fans like we are. You know, like you and I grew up with the Orioles from the 50s and 60s. And, you know, it's in our DNA, that part of it. But I don't know if it's in their DNA about the urgency of winning and the passion for the for the you know the wonderful years of this franchise and and its history and and all that I don't know so all you can do is look at the product they put on the field and to be four weeks out from spring training with two fifths of a rotation and uncertainty in the infield and uncertainty in the outfield I mean it sure doesn't give you a lot of confidence if I lived at home and back in Baltimore and I was contemplating buying a season ticket. 
Do I want to? I don't know. Maybe I don't this year. Well, the the interesting thing is, you know, from a fantasy baseball perspective, the other day, last week, I said, let me look around the American League at starting pitchers in my league that might be available. So I said, first thing I got to do is look at all the American League starting pitchers. So team by team, I went to a, a website called Roster Resource, which is owned, I think, by MLB TradeRumors.com now. Anyway, it, it's a very interesting tool, and it shows you all throughout the organization at every level. But at a certain point, you see who the projected starting rotation is. Every <laughs> team in the American League, save the Orioles, has between five and nine names that you could pencil in and say, and I'm not even including somebody like Miguel Castro. I'm talking mm-hmm. about more firmly entrenched as a major leaguer and I'm telling you about seven or eight teams had five starting pitchers, three or four had six, a couple had two, and a couple, I mean, a couple had eight, and one or two had nine. Then you got to the Orioles, and there literally were two names that you could pencil in right yeah. now. Yeah, it's it's sad. I mean, and I don't know that there's there's going to be some magic wand, and we're going to turn up, you know, two or three guys by the time spring spring training starts. I mean, the last time we went through this, we got Ubaldo Jimenez. And, (laughs) wow, that was a great deal. Or Giovanni Gallardo. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, so I don't understand it. I I just don't understand. I mean, there's some quality guys out there. You need probably two of them, and then you figure your fifth guy is going to be one of those Rule 5 guys. Well, it's looking right now like Miguel Castro is the guy they they clearly think can can do the job. They probably, believe it or not, are going to sign Chris Tillman to a one-year contract. Yeah, I, I, I suspect that and, as well. And maybe somebody like a Jason Vargas or an Andrew Kashner and maybe another youngster they, they figure out, so they'll have six or seven names. Uh, but isn't but that the Orioles? It it really has become of of late the Orioles. You know you've I got know. you've got an ownership that really does not place the importance on uh, the, a high value on starting pitchers because the owner is a guy who who clearly looks at that actuarial table uh, and says pitchers equal danger because the you know they get hurt and well, uh, you could say that of almost any player. I mean yeah. You know, they didn't sign Marquecas because he wanted an extra year, so he goes and does does okay with Atlanta. I mean, you know, you sort of get what you pay for. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is a franchise that once had four 20-game winners in the same year. It's astonishing. We're talking with Mike Janowski. Mike, a former Baltimore Sun sports writer, Miami Herald sports writer, and New York Times sports writer who finished out his writing career with the New York Times in the news business. So I want to ask you a, kind of a, a more baseball-wide story uh, that's a little bit of a news story it's taking on. It's the commissioner's push to speed up the pace of game. Uh, you love the game of baseball. I know you've you know fell in love with the Orioles again uh, at an older age and reconnected with them. It, do you watch or not watch a baseball game because of the the pitch, the lack of a pitch clock, or or the no, fact that I don't. But you know what? I wish they would do. I wish they would figure out a way to keep when you're watching on TV to not go to commercials every time there's a pitching change, every time there's an, the, the the inning ends, because 
you know that if, when you're in the stadium, there's so many things that are going on. You watch guys come off the field. They're kibitzing with their teammates or they're, or they're talking to fans. I mean, there's so many interesting flavored things that are mm-hmm. going on that you never get to see because as soon as that third out is made, commercial. As soon as the manager starts walking to the mound to, to change the pitcher, commercial. I think, I think there's, there are other ways to instill interest and keep people in the game. Look, is a pitching clock going to make him? I mean, I'm sure they've done studies. I can't imagine that, that this is peeled off 20 minutes of the game. I just can't imagine that. No, they, I, I don't think that's going to make that much difference. I think they're very worried that baseball is not a game that young people who have grown up on the Internet and are, yeah, you know. I agree with you know, So I think they're, they're scared to death of that. And I think they they might kill the sort of the, the golden goose, uh, you know. Well, I suspect NFL football will fold before baseball will fold because I, of all the the head injuries and the the trauma. I remember when I was covering football. You know, it's one thing to watch a game from the press box or even the stands, but if you've ever stood on the sidelines of an NFL game and listened to it, now yeah. watch it, close your Just eyes listen and to listen to it. It it's just so violent. Did you see the movie uh, Concussion? I did not. Yeah, I I actually sat and watched it during the holidays. It is a it's a staggering film at the landmines they put in front of this guy to tell him he was wrong when they knew all along what the data was showing. Yeah, it's a yeah. very very discouraging. Uh, uh, it, that's a that's a really violent sport, and I suspect that. You know, the talent, I, I don't know if mothers are going to start dissuading their kids from playing football. In I high think school. they have. I think they have. I think yeah. it's, it's, I think I, it's I a think game. you will see a precipitous change there before. Base, I mean, ba- there's something about baseball. It's so magical. And I think, you know, like when I, I go to Dodger Stadium now and again to watch the Dodgers, and there's a fair number of young kids in the in the stands. And that, that's really, that really heartens me because um, – Although the Dodgers do something really stupid with their TV deal, which makes the games unwatchable for two-thirds of the population out here because they don't have the Dodgers yep. Sports Network. But um, That's it, still a staggering news story to me. I, I know. It's ridiculous. It, it's completely – I mean, when the Dodgers finally got to the World Series, I don't think I had seen them on TV more than once or twice because they were in maybe national games, but I don't – so I subscribe to DirecTV and I watch. I have the Major League Baseball package, so I get to see. I get to see 29 teams regularly, All but right. I don't get to see the Dodgers. I'm going to make a point of grabbing you early in the season to see how you think the Orioles are in the first uh, quadrant of the season. Always a joy to talk to you, Mike Janowski, one of the smarter men I know. Oh, Stan, thanks so much. It's great to talk to you, and um, uh, let's hope uh, we find some pitching. All right, take care. <laughs> Okay, Stan, thank you. All right, that's Mike Janowski, former writer for the New York Times.